Amen. Well, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else is going to go ahead and take your Bibles, and we're going to be opening today to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, I've been praying for months uh, what I would preach on this Sunday, and the Lord has uh, led me here to Matthew 28 this morning. And so Matthew 28, we're going to pick up in verses 18 through 20 as we talk about the church's mission going forward and making disciples for the sake of the Gospels. Now let me kind of tell you what I want to do this morning. First of all, I want to make it through the sermon. That's goal number one. Uh, secondly, I want this sermon to be about the Lord and not about us and not about me. I want this to be sort of me helping cast the vision for the church moving forward. And regardless of who the next pastor is, the mission of the church has not changed. The mission of the church is the same today as it was when God gave it to the disciples here in Matthew 28. And I want us just to be reminded of that. I want us to be remembering that. And I want you to be dedicated to that as we all move forward for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of the Lord. And so today, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Matthew 28 and see that God's mission for the church is to make disciples and that it has not changed. Let me just kind of give you some numbers to help you kind of have the picture painted worldwide of what is going on in the world today. As it stands today, at this moment, there are more than 3.3 billion people in the world that remain unreached with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's 7,000 388 different people groups that have their own unique language and culture who have not yet been engaged with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We also know that within the United States, we have seen a major decline in morals and religion with more people today than ever before claiming to be atheist, being agnostic, and being indifferent to the gospel. We have seen that in our community. When, when we were looking at the landscape of our community 15 years ago and we began to see land get sold, we began to see neighborhoods get approved and we knew that houses were going to be built, that people were going to be moving in. We thought 15 years ago as a church that those people moving into the communities would be looking for churches. They would be coming in wanting to find a church, wanting to get plugged in because 15 years ago, that's what people were doing. Right, And the economies have come up and they have crashed. We've had 9-11. We've had all these things that have transpired that have caused the economy to kind of get a little squirrely. And so just now, in the last five years, we've seen the houses finally come that neighborhoods had been planned 15 years ago. And what we've discovered is that those people moving into those neighborhoods are no longer looking for churches. They're indifferent to churches. If anything, they are turned off from churches because of experiences they've had in their lives because of things that have made the news. They're no longer moving into the area trying to find the local church, right? And so we've seen a major shift in, in, in the world, especially in the United States, in our community when it comes to the gospel. So what are we supposed to do? Well, the greatest need of mankind is still the gospel. The world needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And here in this text, Jesus commissions the apostles to lead the church in making disciples of the nation. And in the text, we're going to see three ways in which we are to make disciples of all the nations. And I want to just say before we get started, 
This is what the Lord commands. This is God's plan for reaching the nations with the gospel. We are not going to do better than this. Amen? Listen, I need you to get behind me, right? You got you to be loud and proud this morning. Let's, let's get into it. We're not going to do better than this. And so we're going to look at this simple plan and we're going to figure out how we can apply this into our context here at Corinth Baptist Church moving forward. So let's read Matthew 28. We're going to pick up in verse 16 for context and then we're going to make our way through verses 18 through 20 in the sermon this morning. So Jesus says, or Matthew says, writing about what happened after the death and resurrection of Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible passage, Lord, that has literally directed the church for thousands of years. Lord, we thank you that your mission has not changed. We thank you that your directive has not changed. We thank you that your authority by which you command has not changed. Lord, we pray that this morning we would look at this as a church and we would understand how we are to apply this in our context and our culture for our church moving forward. Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted. And Lord, that the nations would be reached with the gospel. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, first thing we're going to see this morning is that we are to make disciples by going. Let me say that again. It's simple, but it is so important. We are to make disciples by going. Now, as we pick up in chapter 28, we're at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he has spent the last several days and even months, we find out, teaching the disciples and preparing them for his departure. And what Jesus does at the end of Matthew's gospel is he gives this commissioning, this commandment to the disciples, to the apostles who are going to establish the New Testament church. And so the words here are not just meant for the disciples. They're meant for the church that they will establish. In other words, these are the words that are meant for us today, right? This is the mission of the church. This is the most important words Jesus could have spoke concerning the church. And so as he gives us this commission, we see, first of all, he's going to establish the authority by which he gives the command. Notice Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Well, let's think about why. First of all, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? He's the son of God. He's the one who created all things that exist and consist. Nothing that was created was created without him. He is God. He possesses authority because he's God. Amen? But not only does he possess authority because he's God, because of what he just did. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sins. He rose from the dead, defeated death in the grave. He stomped the serpent under his foot. He now has all authority on heaven and earth. And there's no discussion. There's no more questions about it. It's been proven at this point. Amen? And so as Jesus stands with the disciples, he says, Guys, I want you to understand, there's no authority on this earth or under heaven that exists that is not mine. 
It's all been given to me. And because I possess ultimate authority, then what I'm going to command you to do, you have one choice. And that's to obey. Amen? There's no wiggle room. The command is given by the one who has ultimate authority and therefore we have to obey. So what was the command? Well, notice what he says in verse 19. Go, therefore. Therefore points back to his authority. Because I have the authority, I'm commanding you to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says to make disciples? Well, the word disciple was a very familiar word in the culture that Jesus was speaking. His disciples would have known full well what Jesus meant when he told them to go and make disciples. Back then in that culture, it was common. It was customary. It's what people looked for. They were trying to find a man, a teacher that they could learn from, that they could follow, that would teach them, that would equip them. They would become their disciples so that they could learn from them and follow them and be like them in whatever profession or trade they were going to try to accomplish. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. And so his role was to get the disciples to learn from him and follow him. And so when Jesus is telling the disciples to make disciples, he's telling them to go make more disciples, except for not of yourselves. Keep the focus on me. Make more disciples of Christ. Those who will learn about Christ and those who will then in turn follow Christ. Amen? Hopefully the one thing or one of the things you have learned is that salvation is more than just repenting and believing. It is about following the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have repented and you have believed but you have not followed, you are not yet a child of God, right? Following Christ is what it means to be a disciple. And that is exactly what Jesus commands. Go and make disciples. Disciples that will learn about me and that will follow me as you have followed me. And then Jesus gives them three imperative commands they are to do, qualifiers, if you will, for how they're to go about the task of making disciples. The first command is to go. Go and make. And I want to make sure we understand the command is to go and make, not come and see or wait and hear. In in, in this area, for probably as long as I've been alive, the Great Commission has attempted to be accomplished by churches that have had the idea, let's invite people to come and see what Jesus is about, instead of going and making. We have built our evangelistic strategy on inviting people to church. We have big events we, we do all kind of things. We have blow-ups and we have games. We try to get a crowd here so that they can come and see what Christ is about, right? We might be boldened enough to go out into a neighborhood, knock on doors, and when we knock on their door, what do we normally do? Invite them to church, right? We're not engaging them with the gospel out in the community where they're at. We're inviting people to come and see what we're about and what Christ can do for them. God's command is to go and make. Coming and seeing will not work. It is not God's plan. That's why the plan doesn't work. 
It's a much more comfortable plan for us. If we can get people to come here, we're comfortable here, right? This is God's house. We're His children. This is our house. We're comfortable here. We can kick our shoes off and relax here. But when we go to make, we get really uncomfortable. And so for years, the plan has been to come and see. And then for many, the plan has been to wait and see what happens. So instead of being involved and even inviting people to church, many are still just sitting around waiting to see what's going to happen. Not God's plan. Amen? The plan is to go and make. The word can be translated here as you are going, helping us see that this is to be an active part of our world. You see, we're to be about the business of making disciples in our everyday life. This means that as we go to work, as we go to the store, as we go here, as we go there, we're to be focused on spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We must go and build relationships with non-believers for the purpose of sharing Christ with them. We've got to get outside of the walls, the church. We've got to go into the community. And we've got to engage people in relationships so that they're willing to listen to the gospel. Most people aren't going to listen to the gospel until they know who you are and they have some kind of a relationship with you. And let me just tell you, relationships with non-believers are messy. They don't follow the rules that we follow as believers. We've got to get over that. And we've got to be willing to get messy some. Not sinful, but messy. For the sake of building relationships to share the gospel. Amen? Listen, there's a, there, there's a rec league in a school right there. We, we, you, you, you oftentimes will say, we'll pray, God, help us to reach young families. We could not be closer to the epicenter of where young families in our community gather. Like literally, we're the closest church there. It's right there. We, we, we share the same airspace. When they make announcements at school, I hear them in the parking lot. Right? But are we going and trying to engage people with the gospel there? Sadly, the answer has been no. Right? We, we've got to go. You've got to go. Moving forward, if you want to reach this community with the gospel, you've got to leave the church. You've got to go outside the walls and engage the community. Amen? We, we've got to be committed to it. And we've got to stop talking about it. We've got to start doing it. Right? We've had, we've had the plan. We, we've, we've heard the challenge. Right? We, we've heard it for years. I, I, I've, I've arranged it to where we can work the concessions and we've been given permission by the presidents to go out there and, and engage and, and to be a part. And not only our church, but, but the area churches. We're not doing it. We're, we're lucky to fill concession stands. But when we try to get volunteers to just go out there and sit and watch the game and build relationships with the community so that we can share the gospel, the volunteer list becomes zero. I was talking with another area pastor and I said, how many of your members did, did, uh, did, did you get to go? And he's like, one. I was like, awesome. He goes, it was me. I was like, eh, not as awesome. He said, but I did have a great conversation with somebody. I said, awesome. How'd it go? So it turns out he's a member of your church. I said, oh, <laughs> he told me who it was. I said, yeah, he doesn't go to church here that much. Right? That's how that went. It, it wasn't as impactful as it could have been because we weren't there. We weren't there. And I just want you to understand, we, we cannot continue to say we want the church to grow, we want to reach the community if we're going to stay here. We've got to go and make. Amen?
We've got to go and make disciples. And that means if we're going to win our community with the sake of the gospel, then we're going to have to go out into the community and make disciples. This has to be the top priority or a top priority of this church moving forward. But I want you to notice the target that Jesus gives. It doesn't just stop at our community. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, the word all is all-inclusive. This means that we're to go to all the nations, even the difficult nations. We're to go and take the gospel to the nations. And unfortunately, the easy nations have already been engaged with the gospel. The ones left are the ones that are most difficult. They're the ones that are most dangerous. They're the ones that are most expensive to get to. They're the ones that are the hardest, right? We, we, as, we as churches, we save the hardest for last, right? We, we knocked off the easy ones first. And so what's left are the hard ones. As it stands, this church will have two families on the mission field serving overseas. It's incredible, amen? Look at the size of this place. Two families, from this church on the mission field serving overseas. What I want to encourage you to do is continue to foster an environment and an atmosphere where taking the gospel to the nations is not only a possibility, but it is a priority. I'm asking you to continue to partner with us and our family, with Jamie and Joey, and to continue to send teams. I'm asking you to continue to be our church family here that is holding the rope that is, that is doing what's necessary here so that we can be successful there. And I'm asking you to continue to pray about when God is going to send more out from this fellowship. I want you to understand God's already commanded you to go. Stop praying, God, should I go? The command couldn't be clearer, amen? What you ought to be praying is, God, when, where, and how? When, where, and how? God, you want me to go. When, and where, and how? Your go might be to the ball field. It might not be that far, right? Your, your go might be to another state, might be to another country. I don't know where your go is, but you've been commanded to go. So pray, God, when, and where, and how should I go? But the command to go could not be clearer for us. And so what we want to make sure is that we continue to have a heart for the nations. Reaching the nations for the sake of the gospel has to continue to be a top priority for the church. Please, please, please do not let this be my passion alone. It'll break my heart if I leave here and the priority for missions goes with me. Please let that be your priority. Amen? Let it continue to be the priority of this church. I promise it will not be easy. There will always be plenty of excuses for why we cannot go, but understand the command and destination have already been given. And therefore, we have to obey because he has the authority. The good news is that we are not alone in this. We as the church, the universal church, can reach the nations. In God's sovereignty, it... It just so turned out that this weekend, we've got two dear friends here with us this morning sitting with Carrie. These are friends of Allie, friends of David, friends of Corey and Melissa. Why? Because we've met and partnered together on the mission field. They're not from this state. They're not from our church. They're not from our area. Uh, they're not, one of them's not even from our country, right? And you can find out their story later if you ask. 
But the idea is that these are partners of ours that we've been partnering together with for five, six years now. Five, six years now. And it has helped us see that there is a world of churches out there, believers out there. There's the big C, the universal church out there that God has commissioned all of us together to reach the nations with the gospel. We don't have to do it all. We just got to do our part. Amen? So it's about figuring out what is your part individually, what is our part collectively. God's told us to go. The question is where, when, and how is he telling us to go? And the big question is, are you willing to go wherever God calls and leads? We're to make disciples by going, and then secondly, we're to make disciples by baptizing. Now, as we make our way through verse 19, notice that Jesus continues and he gives us the second step in making disciples. Go, step one, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the second step is you don't just have to go, but you got to go engage them with the gospel so that they can be baptized and brought into the fellowship of the local church. Now, you don't baptize somebody until they first profess faith in Christ. Right? So baptizing, the command to baptize carries with it the idea that as you go, you are going to declare the gospel. What's the, what's the gospel? The gospel is what just happened in the book of Matthew. That Jesus, God, the Son of God, was sent to this earth, took on flesh, and dwelt amongst his creation. He lived the perfect life that we could not live, so he would die the death that we deserve. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he didn't stay dead. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death and the grave and securing for us eternal life. And he did this so that we could have a personal relationship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And what what Matthew's telling us, what Jesus commands the disciples is, listen, as you go and make disciples, present the truth of the gospel, lay out the full gospel. Make sure that people understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And as they're following Christ, it's the church's responsibility not just to engage them with evangelism, but it's the church's responsibility to bring them into the fellowship of the local church. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Christ. A disciple is someone who lives in community with other believers A disciple is someone that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's plan is that that would be done through the local church. So what we have to understand is that Jesus commands that we not only engage people with the gospel, that we bring them into the church through baptism. Now to be clear, baptism was understood by these men to be the the, the immersion of a person underwater. Right, So just to understand, make sure we understand the form or the mode of baptism, Jesus is saying dunk them underwater, right? It wasn't till much later that people began to come up with other ways in which someone could be baptized. But the word baptized means to be immersed. In other words, it means to be dunked. That is why we as Baptists have taken a doctrinal stance that we believe in baptism by immersion. Because that's what the term means. That's what Jesus did. That's what was done to Jesus. And that's what these disciples did moving forward. Right? But Jesus also says that we're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because all three were involved in our creation and all three were involved in our salvation. It was God the Father who sent his son because of his great love for us. It was the son who died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. 
It was God who raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. And it was Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit of God to be a, to be a helper to the church. That the Holy Spirit would be the one to reach people, engage people, and bring people to faith in Christ. And that once we accept Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and becomes our helper. That enables us to live for the sake of the gospel. All three are involved in our salvation. And therefore, we're to be baptized in the name of our triune God. Paul says in Romans 6, 4 through 5, to give us this great picture of what baptism means and represents. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul says baptism represents the death and the resurrection of Christ. It represents the death of us and our old self, the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of new life in Christ that we possess. And Paul says that baptism testifies to the fact that since Jesus rose from the dead, guess what we're going to get to do one day? Raised from the dead. We have newness of life in Christ. And that comes through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus intends this to be what we call the initiatory rite of the church. In other words, this is how we join the church. This is how we publicly profess that we are followers of Christ. And that we want to unite with a local body of believers so that together we can hold each other accountable, walk with Jesus, and follow Jesus and declare his glory to the nations in community together. This is not an isolation event. This is a community event where we walk with Jesus collectively together. We are the body of Christ. Amen? And for Corinth to continue to be a successful body, y'all are going to have to be unified together in the gospel. Amen? And so, as Jesus is giving us these directives, he says you're to make disciples by going. You're to make disciples by baptizing. And then he says, thirdly, we're to make disciples by teaching. Now, when we get to verse 20, the last requirement for making disciples is to teach them all things that Christ has commanded. Notice Jesus condemns us from picking and choosing those things we like and instead orders us to teach the full counsel of God's word. Amen? We got to teach and understand to the best of our ability all. Now, how many of you have gotten it all? Right? We're not there yet. Amen? So what does that mean? It means that we are lifelong learners. What I love about the command to teach is that the other side of the command to teach is a command for us to learn. Whose responsibility is it for you to learn the word of God? It is yours. It is yours. Please do not put that burden on me or on the next pastor to come. The responsibility to learn the word of God is yours. You're responsible for studying God's word. You're responsible for putting yourself in a position where you can learn the word of God. Now, God has equipped the church with pastors and teachers. Amen? He's equipped the church with those who can help and those who can teach, those who can lead. That's all a part of God's plan. Right? But you got to put in the hard work yourself. you got to put in the time yourself. And you will know as much of God's word as you put forth the effort to know. Right? And if it matters to you, you'll put forth the effort. 
Think about what you know best. Whether it's a hobby, hobby whether it's uh, uh, your work, what you know best, you know because you have put in the work to study it and to learn it. Right? You've gone to school, you've gone to classes, seminars, you've watched videos, you've read magazines, books, you've asked others, you've been discipled, you've been taught, you've put in the effort. Put in the effort to learn the Word of God. Because with the command to teach is the command to learn. And so this means that in order for us to grow as disciples, in order us, for us to grow to maturity, we must learn the Word of God. So this requires studying on our own, but it also requires that we as a church just commit together to teach the Word of God to others and to ourselves so that we can learn the Word of God. That means that for this church, one of the foundational doctrinal stances is that we will teach and preach the Word. We will gather together to teach and preach and learn the Word. I want you to understand, this is going to have a major impact on who you call to be your next pastor. It is of utmost necessity that the next pastor be someone who teaches and preaches the Word of God. They do not have to do it like me. They do not need to have the same passions that I have. Matter of fact, I can almost guarantee you they won't. That's why God's moving me away and bringing someone different in. Different is the key. But that person still needs to be someone who teaches and preaches the Word of God rightly. Right? And when I say rightly, what I, what I, what I want you to understand is rightly is what we call exegetically. It means that the person is going to walk you through Scripture like I'm walking you through this Scripture, making sure that when you come away from the passage, you understand God's Word better than when you started. Right? Not, one, not someone who tells stories, not someone who entertains, not someone who tickles your ears, but someone who hits you with the truth of God's Word and preaches the full counsel of God's Word. Right? That's what you need to grow. That's what you need to learn. That's what you need moving forward. Now, they, they need to be better looking than me. They need to be funnier than me, more polished than me. All those things are great. But they must teach and preach the Word of God. Because the command to teach is also a command to learn. And you cannot learn if you're not sitting under the right preaching of God's Word. And then notice at the end of verse 20. Here's where it gets really comforting to us. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. This task is far bigger than we can accomplish as individuals or as a church. This only happens because God empowers the church that he sends. This only happens because God is with us, leading us the entire time, right? And so what a comfort that we are not in this alone. We not only have great church partners, we not only have the universal church, but more important than all of it, we have Jesus leading the way. So that wherever he does lead, wherever he calls you to, he will be with you all the way. He's the one empowering. He's the one working. He's the one bringing about the glory of God. Listen, 
we've never felt more unprepared and unworthy than we do at this point in our lives. We We have asked ourselves time and time again, why and what in the world do we have to offer? And the answer is nothing. We don't bring anything to the table by God's grace. But God leads us, and when we get there, God will empower us to do whatever it is God wants us to do. Amen? And that's what brings us comfort. And what I want you to understand is the same is true for you moving forward, and the same is true for the next pastor moving forward. Your new pastor is going to walk through this door, and he's going to say, Lord, why? Lord, how? Lord, what? am I supposed to do? And by God's grace, it's God who's going to lead him and give him the vision to take this church to the next level. And it's your responsibility to follow that pastor as that pastor follows the Lord. Please do not forget, sheep do not lead the shepherd because sheep are dumb and they don't know where they're going. We're all sheep, me included. Amen? But God has ordained the church to follow the lead of the pastor, the shepherd. And so follow your next pastor until your next pastor strays from God's word. Then get rid of your next pastor and find one who will be true to God's word. Amen? Do your research, do your homework. Don't call anybody. Call someone who is faithful to the word of God. And then when you have that man, you follow him and you support him and you support his family the way you've supported mine. So let me ask you, where are you at in your journey of becoming a disciple of Christ? Have you started that journey by trusting Christ as your Savior? Have you followed him in believer's baptism? Are you allowing God to grow you in your family by learning all that you can learn from God's word? Are you putting yourself in a position to learn? Are you at church? Are you, are you putting yourself in small groups and Wednesday night Bible studies and Sunday school classes? Are you doing quiet times? Next, let me ask you, what are you doing to make disciples? The command to make disciples means that we need to be discipled and we need to be making disciples. So where are you at and what are you doing to make disciples? Where is God leading you to go? Are you willing to go? Let's pray. Lord, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Lord, we're asking for you to just keep working the way that you work. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, that has not started their journey on being a disciple because they've never yet put their faith and trust in you, then Lord, I pray that today after hearing the gospel, the truth of who you are and what you've done on our behalf, Lord, that they would commit themselves to following you, that as you call out to them, they would respond by saying yes to your call. And Lord, that today might be the day that they give their heart and life to you. Lord, I pray for those who are in the process of being disciples. 
Lord, that, that you would help us to understand where we're at on that journey. Lord, that we would put ourselves in positions to learn your word. That we would try our best to be equipped so that we can teach your word to others. Even if it's to our own children or grandchildren. But Lord, we would be teaching and discipling someone. Lord, that we would be committed to going wherever, wherever you command us to go. Lord, knowing that you will be right there with us every step of the way, leading us. Lord, empowering us. Whether that go is across the street to these neighborhoods, whether that go is on the corner to the community, whether that go is to another state, whether that go is overseas, Lord, we pray that you would send us where you want us. And Lord, that we would be willing to follow you wherever that is. Lord, because we know that there is no one that loves us more. There is no one who has the authority that you have. And there is no one that we can trust more who's going to come back for us one day and usher us into our eternity. So Lord, we surrender ourselves to you during this invitation and we pray that your will would be done in us and through us now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.